You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Hope you had a great weekend, everybody. Safe and sound. We're here in the man cave. You got Fritzy, McLovin, and Seton at their respective homes. Paulie's about 20 feet away from me. And glad to have you part of the program. As we always do on Monday, best and worst of the weekend. Your phone call's coming up. We'll also check in with Peyton Manning. He'll join us coming up next hour. Reggie Miller with his thoughts on the Bulls documentary. Reggie will join us coming up in the final hour of the program. A couple of ways to get in touch. Dial us up, 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address, if Marvin gets them, is uh, dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter, if Marvin gets them, at uh, DP Show. And we say good morning to our radio partner's TV partner. That's youtube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Last Dance got off to quite a start last night. ESPN's 10-part documentary series on the 90s Bulls. An incredible sports story, but more than that, it's a human story. It's a reminder that athletes are just like us, coaches just like us, GMs just like us, that they have feelings. You can look at this and say, boy, you're part of history. You're on maybe the greatest team of all time. But then you start to see some of the fractured relationships there, the petty jealousies, the ego that comes in. Workplace politics between Phil Jackson and the GM Jerry Krause. You got a glimpse into how undervalued, underappreciated Scottie Pippen felt. You know, Jordan tearing up, watching his mother read a letter that he wrote to her in college when he was homesick at North Carolina. People think winning cures everything money cures everything but you can see early on in the last dance that's not the case at all as great as the 1997 bulls were you can see the championship team falling apart right before your very eyes and it started before the season started because you had a gm say to the coach i don't care if you go 82 and 0 you're not coming back it's a story about ambition competitiveness and ego and we're only two episodes in and with no live sports on right now, it's going to be a lot of fun to see the story unfold in eight more episodes. I thought the first two episodes were really interesting. It's just a reminder for a generation that grew up with Jordan. But the new generation, that I'm curious how the new generation consuming Jordan is going to feel about this. If you're under the age of 25 and you're watching this, when it's all said and done, how do you feel about Jordan now? To me, it's just that reminder of who he was, that personality. And you start to find out what was going on with a team that started out, I think, eight and seven that last year they were together. And Jerry Krause gets a lot of blame. Jerry Krause is probably the villain in the first two episodes. But understand this, and Jerry Krause is not alive. Jerry Krause has no one speaking for him. But Jerry Krause did do his job. You can say, how could you break up the Bulls? Okay. He probably looked at this economically and said, Michael's going to want $33 million. Scotty, in the last year of his deal, now he's going to want a new deal. He's going to want to get $20 million. And he got injured. He missed the thir first 35 games with the uh, foot, in foot injury. He was actually right in some ways, on can I keep this team together? You never knew about Dennis Rodman. You knew Kukoc was a real talent. You knew Pippen had a problem uh, that Kukoc had become maybe the coach's pet, the GM's pet. But Jerry Krause found all of these guys. Michael Jordan falls into their lap. He, on draft day, swaps Olden Polonies for Scottie Pippen, who was out of Central Arkansas. 
he makes a trade where he says, I'm going to send Will Perdue a way to get Dennis Rodman in return. But he also drafted Kukoc, and he waited for Kukoc to come over to the United States. He brought in Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson was with the Albany Patroons of the CBA. I, I don't, I don't, I met Jerry Krause, and if we had conversations, I don't remember anything. He, he wasn't somebody that you gravitated towards. I think that there was an ego of, I've always picked on, you know, your star player is calling you crumbs because you always had crumbs from your lunch on your jacket or your pants. He was not well-liked, but he was respected by the owner, Jerry Reinsdorf. But he had to make a decision. And at the time, I remember going, how is the owner siding with the GM over the coach? I got the greatest player and great, maybe the greatest coach of all time. Certainly in the conversation. But he's going to side with one over 12, 14 players, coaches? Because that's what they did. He, he was going to take the wrecking ball to this. And it wasn't going to be something where you sort of ease out of being the greatest team or a dynasty. They took the wrecking ball to it. Like it was done. I loved Jordan's loyalty to Phil Jackson. I loved it because it's rare where you have that reciprocation. You have that respect. And Mike said, hey, I'm not playing for anybody other than Phil Jackson. But there are a lot of different pieces there. And you're just getting, you're, you're dipping your toes into this. Wait till you get to around six, maybe six or seven, that, those episodes. Then you're going to get the full storm here. You're going to understand the magnitude. You're going to understand the competitiveness. You understand the greatness there. I saw where ESPN had a poll question today, and it was greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. I go, nah, I don't think you do that today. That might not be fair to LeBron today or the next couple of weeks, the next couple of Mondays after this. Don't do that. Not fair to LeBron. I'm watching this and I'm thinking one thing, and it'll surprise you. Michael Jordan is still ghosting LeBron James. LeBron should be playing in the playoffs, maybe get another championship. Then he's got four. Now, all of a sudden, we have a little bit more of a conversation. LeBron's got to sit there just like us and watch this as, you know, we want to make sure that we rub it in. You're seeing somebody who is unlike anybody else we've ever seen. You have the timing with this, which makes it so interesting they moved this up. Now, they were going to have it in June. Imagine if you had this in June while LeBron is trying to play for a championship. This documentary is not even done yet. And we talked to the director last week. He said, I got uh, a couple of them uh, on the two-yard line and a couple in the red zone here, but we're going to get it all done. You know, they sped it up to, to get it out in front of us. And Michael, legacy will grow because of this. Because all it does is reinforce what we already knew, but the new generation who, and I don't know, I was also wondering about this. Is there going to be a documentary on a team and or player 20 years from now, 22 years from now, where you go, God, they were fascinating. God, I love them. Man, that was amazing. Oh, you had all that infighting. They still did. Now you're going to say maybe the Patriots. 
I don't think the Patriots are interesting to people because I got a coach who doesn't talk. I have a quarterback who doesn't want to say anything negative. The only people who'd be interesting are the people behind the scenes or secondary players who might give you some cracks in the armor here. But I, I don't find that. I don't think the Patriots are interesting. The Bulls were fascinating. Fascinating. Because I had a, a Zen master is the coach who's 6'10". I had Rodman, who I didn't know what he was going to dress like. I didn't know if he was going to go crazy again. I had Jordan, who we didn't know how great Mike could be. We knew he wanted to be the best player of all time. And he said that. Hey, I, he, I want to be the great. There was never where Michael goes, yeah, I'm okay with being a top five player. He wanted to be the greatest. I, I always found Scotty interesting because I found that he was really shy, incredibly talented, but I also thought that he felt like he was undervalued, underappreciated because he was in Mike's shadow. But because of Michael, Scotty became one of the great players of all time. If Scotty is on his own, I don't think Scotty Pippen's one of the 50 greatest players of all time. Just don't. Wonderful player. But when he went on his own to Houston and Portland and he wasn't healthy, he wasn't great. Uh, but what he did when he was there with Michael was incredible. They were a great tandem. Unbelievable tandem there. So you start to look at these players, the relationships there. I think Jerry Reinsdorf comes out of this with no blood on his hands. The owner, it's almost like he's going, hey, like Robert Kraft with Tom Brady. Hey, we wanted Tommy to stay. Okay, the blood's on Belichick, hand, not Robert Kraft. But it, it, it brought me back into a sweet spot when I was – Thrilled doing Sports Center, got to cover the Chicago Bulls, got to be there for Sports Center, got to interview these guys after they were winning championships. Went to management to say to my boss, I am going to do those interviews next year because I was witnessing something that I'd never seen before. I wanted to be part of history. That's what it came down to. And Mark Jones, love him, but I went to management and said, I'm, I want Mark Jones's job interviewing Michael Jordan after he wins these championships. I voted on all these awards. I voted for Jordan, I think, six or seven consecutive years for MVP, even when others had a better regular season. And full transparency, I should have voted for Carl Malone or Charles Barkley because they did have better seasons, regular seasons. It always came down to one question, who's going to win the title? Mike went through Barkley, went through Malone when they won MVPs. In fact, I think Michael loved the fact that Charles won an MVP and Malone won an MVP. So he could say, oh, you think they're the MVPs? Watch me. He was motivated by everything, anybody. And the fact that you're going to go into a situation where you go, what's my motivation here? I don't know if I have a motivation. He just waited. He wanted to be told you can't do it. The odds aren't in your favor. And, of course, being a gambler, he loved that. But it was wonderful. You know, it, it, it really was. It was a magical time. And I said this last week. Nobody, nobody criticized Jordan. I mean, they, had, they whispered about Mike, you know, uh, off the court with things he was doing. But, but you really didn't have, you didn't have social media. You, even now, you don't find people who criticize Michael Jordan. 
you know, basketball ability. You don't find anybody who says anything about it, right? LeBron, it's, it's always been day-to-day, game-to-game, almost quarter-to-quarter. But this is a whole different world when it comes to the media. How we approach, what we can say, say it in real time. Other people can chime in on this. Go viral. But I know that I said my piece about LeBron. Although I, I, I do want to edit what I said. I said better score than Michael all around. My, I should have said better offensive force from the standpoint of he can play five positions on offense and he can be, I mean, he, he, he's going to finish second in the MVP race this year at his age. And he's going to lead the league in assists. So I think, you know, LeBron's ability to be able to create offense for everybody is better than Michael's. Michael, as far as a cold-blooded score, yes, better than LeBron. But an offensive force, LeBron is able to do a variety of things. And I, I know what happens is you, you take something away from somebody or give somebody a little bit more credit than they deserve, and that's always dangerous because – People record these things. People remind you of things that you say. As I had some people who reminded me over the weekend. Wait, you think LeBron's a better scorer? Like people just walking around? Yeah, well, six feet away. Right. Hey, hey, talking hairdo. You think that, what, LeBron? And I'd be like, um, he's better offensive force from what he does. He makes people better. Michael made you better by scaring the bleep out of you. You get the look, and that meant you weren't getting the ball. Judd Bushler, Steve Kerr, those guys would always say, you never wanted the look. If you got the look, you're in trouble. But I can't wait for people, a new generation, to consume this. And then what are their feelings on Mike after that? It's only going to raise his, you know, the, the awareness of being the greatest player of all time. And there's a certain quality of, you know, there's a mythological feel towards Michael. Because if you're younger, you're going... Yeah, I see the video, but when you see all of this and NFL film or NBA films did a wonderful, NBA Entertainment did a wonderful job getting access to all of this and stuff that I didn't see. Uh, it's it's uh, it'll it'll be a fun ride, and of course we're you know chewing this up because there's nothing else, and it, and it kind of put the draft on pause just a little bit, but we'll talk about that uh, coming up because. The uh, career assassination of Tua Tonga-Vailoa continues. And is it a conspiracy theory? Conspiracy theory. We're going to know in a couple of days here. All right, we'll come up with a poll question. we got a stat of the day, play of the day. Jimmy in Chicago joins us. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, hey Dan. Hey. Uh, you were talking to the younger generation, um, looking at Jordan. And I think that you, have, you, you would have to be growing up in that time, the, the time that he played watching the games, being able to go to one of the games that I was fortunate to go in uh, 98. And the funny thing is, watching at the United Center, the one play that I remember from that entire game was a breakaway dunk that he did. Um, he literally did the, jump, the Jumpman logo uh, for the dunk. And that just, that just sticks with me. Um, but the way he did it in the 90s, the physicality of that decade, mm. just the way he played, you would have to grow up in that time. So I think that... The younger generation will get something out of this documentary, but being able to live that time and the way what, um, the time that he was playing, I think that's when that's when you really understood and felt the greatness of him. So, All right. Well, thanks for the phone call, Jimmy. Yeah, I think you're going to watch a game and you're not going to recognize how the game is played back then because it's completely different now. We know that they weren't 
reliant on the three. It was, it was really a physical game, and centers played a large role. Understand this. The Bulls would have taken Akeem Olajuwon instead of Michael Jordan. They said it in the documentary. Everybody can say what they want about Michael Jordan. Oh, we all knew. Rod Thorne, who drafted him, didn't know. You could see the embryonic stages of greatness when you watched Michael. But, you know, Portland doesn't take Michael Jordan because they had Clyde Drexler. Back then, you were, you, you were drafting for position. Nowadays, you'd go... Yeah, Clyde Drexler and Michael Jordan together. Hell yeah. Hey, we're not going to take Clay Thompson. We have a shooter in Steph Curry. That might be the logic back then, but certainly not the logic now. Michael was there. Hakeem was the one, and then Sam Bowie. But Hakeem was the real deal. Like Hakeem to, I would have taken Hakeem number one over Michael Jordan. And then Michael. You know, Sam Bowie had injury issues. You know, he was a little bit, you know, he was frail. And, yeah, hey, but we got our big man. You don't think that way now. You'd take, you'd take Michael. Well, if we redrafted, you would take Mike. But Akeem's the first battle Hall of Famer and one of the great centers, great players of all time. You know, it'd be interesting, but obviously you take Mike. But Akeem at the time, Patrick Ewing at the time, they were considered better pro prospects than Michael. This program brought to you by LegalZoom. No matter what happens, you want to make sure that you take care of your loved ones. That's why LegalZoom has made it easy to set up the right estate plan without leaving your home. Take care of your family today with the right estate plan at LegalZoom.com. We'll uh, let the Danettes weigh in on this. We'll look at Tua Tonga-Vailoa and his draft stock. And is it a conspiracy theory? I'll have that for you coming up. It's approaching 19 after the hour, just getting started on this Monday. Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. LifeLock. LifeLock is here to help you because in today's digital world, you are more likely to actually have your identity stolen than your car stolen or your home burglarized. And while that should make you feel a little bit better about the locks on your car, locks at home, you might feel vulnerable when it comes to the digital footprint here. It's important to understand how cybercrime is affecting our lives. Identity theft is another serious issue. Someone's identity is stolen every two seconds. And you could miss certain identity threats if you're only monitoring your credit. That's why it's a good thing that there's LifeLock. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats, your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information, they'll send you an alert. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. LifeLock can see threats that you might miss on your own. Join now. Save up to 25% off your first year. Use the promo code PATRICK. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or head to lifelock.com. Use the promo code PATRICK for 25% off. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Make sure you go to rockauto.com, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com, family business. They founded this back in 1999. Automotive engineers, they had two goals in mind. First, to give you direct access to all the parts information hidden in the computers and catalogs behind the parts store counter. And second, make those parts affordable by offering reliably low prices. rockauto.com, choose the part brands, prices, features you want anytime, 24-7. rockauto.com has a lot of the parts you probably told 
no longer available. The parts delivered right to your home or office. You don't waste time and money uh, hunting for the parts, phoning, driving, waiting in lines. You know, some of those things you can't even do right now with the uh, COVID-19. Go to rockauto.com and make sure you tell them we sent you. Write Dan Patrick in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you all the parts your car or truck wherever you need at rockauto.com. All right, uh, we'll go around the room. Now, I want you to be specific on the one thing that stood out with the Bulls documentary. Paulie, I'll start with you. Back when Michael Jordan broke his foot, I think it was the 85, 86 year, and they brought him back towards the end of the season, and he, did, he wanted to come back, and they didn't want him back because they wanted to get a better slot in the draft. And they capped him at seven minutes a half. And, and I'd never heard that, that the management... A, a quarter. A, a quarter? Was it? I think it was seven a quarter. Okay. Um, they, they told Stan Albeck that if you play him more than that seven minutes, when it hits seven, like almost a buzzer would go off, and someone was told to set Stan Albeck to pull him. And they told him, you'll be fired the next day. There was a game where there was 14 seconds left. They were down one. And they took Michael Jordan out with 14 seconds left. And they show the footage. It's unbelievable footage of him on the bench. He looks like he's going to have a fit. He really is having a fit. Yeah. And, they, and somehow Paxson gets a game winner. But he says they locked the door and they were really mad. He said Michael never got over that with management. Well, they were trying to protect Michael from Michael with his foot. And, you know, looking at this with the long haul, uh, you know, Michael talks about when he and Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, sat down and they were telling him, look, you got a broken foot coming back from a broken foot. Here are the odds. Here's what both of those parties had to say. Michael asked him, well, if I play, what percentage is there that I'm going to get hurt again? Doctor said, yeah, 10 percent. And I just lost it. I said, look, it's 10 percent chance, but it's 90 percent chance that I won't. And then I chimed in to the doctors, what happens if the 10% kicks in? And they said, well, then his career would be over. Well, everybody's just thinking about the negative. Well, I think the glass is half full. Everybody thinks it's half empty. So I said to Michael, you don't, you're not understanding the risk-reward ratio. If you had a terrible headache and I gave you a bottle of pills and nine of the pills would cure you and one of the pills would kill you, would you take a pill? And I look at him, I said, depends on how bad the headache is <laughs> it's not a glass half full or glass half empty it's a glass that's 90 percent full or 90 percent empty in his mind seaton what stood out to you well you know i sort of to echo a little bit what you said in the first segment but just how much everybody hated jerry Krause, uh and yet you can't really argue with a lot of the decisions that he made. They seem to be the right thing to do, just like that example with the foot. You know, the right thing to do was to sort of limit Jordan's minutes and look long-term for his career. Or, you know, the uh, trade that they pulled off to get Pippen or some of those other moves. It was almost like, uh, yeah, he did He did a lot of good <laughs> things, but uh, nobody really liked the guy. Just the fact that, and, and I, I, I've told this story, I know, many times, but I'm there covering that draft where I got Olden Polonese and Scottie Pippen. And back then when we were covering the draft, I was sitting next to uh, Olden Polonese and Pippen, I believe was behind me or in front of me, one another, you got a hat. So they had team hat on Olden Polonese had uh, a bull's hat and Scotty had a Seattle supersonics hat on. And all of a sudden we're interviewing them and just asking them about going to their new teams and then you hear, uh, we have a trade, the Bulls and the Supersonics. So Scotty and Olden Polonies exchange hats. And then all of a sudden you go, 
All right, let me ask Olden Polonese about the Seattle Supersonics. Like, you're, you're just going, this is crazy. That just uh, just happened. And you think about the Bulls wanted Scottie Pippen. And really, nobody had heard of Scottie Pippen out of Central Arkansas. We would know about him now. But back then, nobody knew anything about Scottie Pippen other than this was a guy who had sort of the, the abilities to maybe be something good. But you just didn't know. Because he didn't play against anybody. But he here's six seven long arms. Uh, looked like he had a nice shot, good defender, but we had no idea. We knew about Olden Polonies. We had seen Olden Polonies play. Yeah, Paul. Dan, I remember that draft specifically. The Bulls with the fifth spot got Scottie Pippen. And as a kid, Rick Tellender, I remember writing about it saying the only highlight of this is going to be Pippen, Tippin, like they thought it was a, a wasted pick. You need a sure thing to help Michael Jordan. He needed an enforcer. They loved Olden Polonese, this big guy. And then later in the draft, they took Horace Grant, who was a nice power forward out of Clemson, not a basketball school, and they passed on Reggie Miller. And people in Chicago were like, you could have had another great score to help this guy out. It didn't go over well that day. Yeah, but even Reggie going to Indiana was not a popular choice because – they they weren't sure how durable Reggie Miller was. He he weighed 180 pounds, and they weren't sure if they, you know they were worried about how he would run. They, they had no idea that Reggie Miller was going to be Reggie Miller. You know, I love that you know after the fact we can look back and say, yeah, I knew that that guy was. I, if you would have said who's going to have a better career, I would have said Olden Polonies over Scottie Pippen because I had no idea what I was seeing with Scottie Pippen. You know, but the Bulls did make mistakes. You know, they, you know, they, with some of these draft picks, but every team does. It's when you, when you do something correct, how big is it? And the Bulls made some huge, huge decisions. You're drafting Ku Coach. We had just heard about Ku Coach. We, we knew, oh, this guy, he's, uh, you know, he's the best international player we've ever seen. And, you know, we were always skeptical about that because you're thinking, all right, you know, come over here, probably be a jump shooter, be a little soft. And then all of a sudden you, you saw Kukoc who had a lot of ability at 6'10". You know, the Scottie Pippen move, that's a big move. Bring in Phil Jackson, that's a big move. Just those right there. Fritzy, what's the one moment stood out? Just how horribly underpaid Scottie Pippen was. And they showed a graphic of behind Harper and Longley and Kukoc. And then the dichotomy of Phil Jackson saying he wasn't selfish by sitting out. And Michael Jordan just saying, hey, it was selfish that he put himself ahead of the team. And uh, he should have gotten that foot surgery and not worried about how it was going to affect his summer and get ready in time for the next season. It's easy for Michael to say, you know, it's kind of selfish on Scottie's part that uh, he didn't want to ruin his summer. He didn't want to have surgery on his foot. And he didn't want to ruin his summer. Mike, I think, was making either 30 or 30. $33 million. Scotty was making around $3 million. Yeah, Paul. Scotty signed a seven-year, $18 million contract with the Bulls. It was his, after his rookie contract, so he was his third year in the league. He made seven straight All-Star appearances, won six titles, and got paid $18 million. Now, after he left the Bulls with the Rockets and going forward, he made $11 million, $15 million, $14 million, $18 million, $19 million, $5 and 4 He made $90 million after leaving the Bulls. Yeah. <laughs> You know, when you sign a contract, it always seems at the time, this is a great contract. And then not long after that, you go, this isn't a good contract. A seven-year contract is forever. You you never want to sign that seven-year deal in your prime. Now, I know baseball, you know, basketball, these are guaranteed contracts. But Scotty and what he meant to the Bulls, 
you know, is he what commensurate to what Mike meant? No, not at all. Is he up there as maybe the second best teammate? Like, I'm, I was wondering about that, too. The second best teammate of all these great players. If I said to Larry Bird, second best player was Kevin McHale. If I said Shaq and Kobe, Kobe and Shaq, uh, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Stockton Malone. You know, Stockton Malone obviously didn't win, but that was that's as good a regular season combination as you'll find in NBA history. Oscar had Lou Alcindor with the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, Russell had a whole, you know, an entire roster of Hall of Famers. But you're looking at Michael and Scotty. That's pretty good. I don't know if you'll get much argument there. McLovin, what stood uh, out? The, li- the line stood out to me was when uh, Jerry Krause c- called Phil Jackson in the office and said, even if you win 82 games, you're gone. That's got to be the craziest statement in sports history because we all know what happened. Phil wins five titles and Krause has 10 straight lotteries or something. It's nuts. Why would he do that? He was hell-bent on making sure that they were going to start over and he could prove that he could do it again because he got no credit back then. Phil got, okay, started with Michael and then Phil. Those two got, you know, most of the praise there. And rightfully so. Uh, But Jerry Krause was the guy down in the basement making, you know, formulas and trying to create something here. And he was not getting any, even winning all those titles. I don't know how many times did Jerry Krause win, win executive of the year. Can we check and see how many times he won? Because I don't, I don't know how many. Maybe he was decorated with that, but you're just going, you got to be kidding me. But Jerry Krause, and he was not media friendly, media savvy. I think he wanted the attention. I think he wanted the love and appreciation. I don't know if he knew how to go about it. But Phil had a mystery about him. Michael had a mystery about him. Jerry Krause, you looked at him and you go, I think I figured that guy out after five minutes. I will right, we'll get some more phone calls. Best and worst of the weekend. We will have ours. Peyton Manning will join us coming up next hour. And uh, Reggie Miller will join us in the final hour of the program. Do you have that Jerry Krause information? Yeah, he won executive of the year 87-88. That was the year they drafted Scottie Pippen and uh, Horace Grant. And then he won executive of the year 95-96. Okay. Twice. All right. How many times did Phil Jackson win coach of the year? I don't think Chuck Knoll ever won coach of the year in the NFL. For some reason, that stands out. Wouldn't you want to have less of them so people could say you're underappreciated, though? I'd rather have the rings and be underappreciated. Oh, I don't know if Phil is lamenting the fact that he maybe didn't win Coach of the Year as many times as... Because you'd always go, well, you got Shaq and Kobe. Hey, you got Michael and Scotty. Yeah, Paul. I got to check this. This is, I think... Am I on drugs? Phil Jackson may have only won Coach of the Year once. Okay. 95-96 with the Bulls. Yeah. I do not have him winning it again. We love the underdog story where you, you take a team that's maybe not a playoff team and they win 42 games and you go, man, that guy, he did a great job. You, I mean, what Phil did, Phil managed personalities. Now, you had a game plan here, but you managed personalities. I, it feels like he had, as long as he had Michael, he had, he had a coach on the floor. But what Phil did is he managed personalities. He wasn't able to manage the personalities of Shaq and Kobe as well as he did. You know, but you had Scotty who understood his place in the pecking order. Kobe and Shaq, it's like, I'm, I'm the alpha. No, I'm the alpha. 
Scotty understood that he was Robin to Batman. He did. Now, when Mike left, then Scotty became Batman and had a hard time with that. At times, had a hard time with that, with everything that comes along with that. All right. Uh, well, what's poll question today, McLovin? I'll get into this Tua Tonga-Vailoa coverage, and is there a conspiracy theory attached to how he is being roughed up in the media? We were trying to come up with a Scotty Pippen poll question. Whose career would you rather have? Scotty Pippen and some of the other Robins I came up with, Clay Thompson. Is that a possibility? Is Dwayne Wade LeBron's Robin, or mm. is that unfair? And Shaq's Robin? Mm. Uh, like, basically, would you want Scotty Pippen's career? And Fritzy had a great question. Is it a compliment to be Robin? Well, it depends on who's Batman. If, if Michael's my Batman, I'm okay with being Robin. And, and, and Scotty was. I, but, you know, did Dwayne Wade have to learn how to be Robin to LeBron's Batman? Because if you're Batman and then all of a sudden, you know, LeBron comes down, you might be reduced to being Robin after that. But if you respect him and you're fine with it, I think Dwayne Wade appeared to accept that and was good with that. Shaq and Kobe, they, they could never settle on who was Batman, who was Robin. And I'm sure if Kobe were alive today, he'd think that he was Batman. And Shaq would tell you that he's Batman. I don't think Stockton had any interest in being a star. I think he wanted to be great at what he did. I think Carl Malone wanted to be viewed as a superstar. And, and being in Salt Lake probably didn't get as much attention as he, as he deserved. When you look at the all-time list, I mean, it's hard to be underrated scoring 37,000 points. But Carl Malone might be underrated. Who else do you have there, McLevin? Wait, uh, question, who is the Robin with Kareem and Magic in the 80s Lakers? Well, I think it, it it turned. I think it flipped. I think it became Magic was Batman. It, it became Magic's team. I know that. Uh, Kareem was was not Lou Alcindor. He wasn't the earlier Kareem. And he's still very good. He led the league in scoring. I think he might be the oldest guy to ever lead the league in scoring, but uh, that became Magic's team. And I, I think Magic kind of was drawing out of Kareem the joy of the game, having fun with the game. Something that Kareem, I don't know if he ever did. Yeah, Paul. You know, another quote from last night that really stood out to me is they had a clip of Bob Knight, who was the Olympic coach in 84. Remember, this is the summer before Jordan was a rookie. And Bob Knight says he's the best athlete I've ever coached. And, and, and he starts working it out in the quote. He goes, he's actually, actually he's the best player I've ever coached. And then they, they asked Bob Knight... Uh, well, what should the Trailblazers do? They don't need a, uh, they need a center. They need a center. Draft, him at, draft him at center. He'll be the best center in the league. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> a great quote by Bob Knight. All right, play of the day is coming up next, and then we'll dive into the Tuatongo Bailoa topic. Peyton Manning next hour. Reggie Miller will join us in the final hour of the show. Back after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app, at FSR, or stream us live every day at youtube.com slash the Dan Patrick Show. Oh my God. The play, the play, the play. of the day. This is the play of the day. Check this out. Jordan. Oh. Ties the game. Oh boy. 63 points, and you're looking at an all time record. Oh boy. Michael Jordan. That, that was a fantastic move. 
courtesy of CBS. 34 years ago today, Mike scores 63 against the Celtics in the Garden. To this day, that stands as the most points ever scored in a playoff game. Bulls ended up getting swept in the series. Pat Benatar hit me with your best shot. Now, keep in mind, 1986, that team had Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Bill Walton, Robert Parrish, and Dennis Johnson. Five Hall of Famers. They were coached by another Hall of Famer, Casey Jones. The Chicago Bulls were trying to put the second loss on the Celtics in the Garden that year. During the regular season, Boston went 40-1 and at home. Only team to beat them that year, the Portland Trailblazers. Play of the day, play of the day brought to you by the great folks at LegalZoom. No matter what happens, you want to make sure your loved ones are protected, taken care of. That's why LegalZoom has made it easy to set up the right estate plan without leaving your home. Take care of your family today. The right estate plan at LegalZoom.com. Michael put up 63 points, didn't have a three-point shot. I think he... Made uh, he might have taken just over forty shots in that game. Most of his made most of his free throws, but that's when Larry Bird, the ultimate competitor, is saying that's God disguised as Michael Jordan. What he did, he also put up I think like forty nine in a game against the Celtics. Just wild stuff. All right, uh, I mentioned Tua Tonga Vailoa. That Wonderlic test scores came out, and at first it was reported that he had a thirteen. And then it was reported that that was last year that he took the Wonderlick while at Alabama. And then he took it again this year and I think out of 19. One of these days, these players are going to say, I'm not taking the Wonderlick. Because if, if you're going to make it public and then all of a sudden we start to look at, you know, the intelligent le- intelligence level of some of these players. And it's unfair to them. I know that the teams want to know, but... If I look at the list of quarterbacks who did well on the Wonderlick and those who didn't, is it really a test of how football smart you are? Now, I know, you know, scouts will tell you this. We just want to know how you process the information. Are you quick in processing the information? You can be a, a bright football mind. Maybe you're not going to be book smart. And uh, I felt bad for Tua because, you know, it, is this, it just feels like it's open season on Tua right now. And I don't know if some of this is by design. And before you say, boy, that's crazy. Why would it be by design? If you're a team, let's say you're Jacksonville. Let's say you're Carolina. Let's say you're the Raiders. Let's say you're New England. And he could fall into your lap. Now, do you have information, misinformation? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's leaks every, there's a leak. Somebody leaks the Wonderlick test scores every single year. I'm waiting for the NFL to go, if we find out who did it, we'll fire you. And protect these players. You know, really protect these players. We had Boomer Esiason on. Uh, Boomer was on with us last week. And I asked him about Tua and what's going on. And he kind of brought up the conspiracy theory with the Patriots. When you listen to guys like Mike Tannenbaum and uh, Mike Lombardi just absolutely destroying Tua, you wonder if there's some sort of conspiracy thing going on between Nick Saban and Bill Belichick to get Tua up to the New England, although I, I don't necessarily know that the, the Patriots have the draft capital, uh, capital to do it. Yeah, that's Boomer. And it, it just feels like there's sort of this uh, groundswell with, with Tua. 
You know, you had Trent Dilfer come out and tell you he's the greatest he's ever seen. And, uh, you know, he throws better than Aaron Rodgers and Dan Marino. Like, and, and Trent's working with Tua. You, you know, you have this game of uh, tennis, verbal tennis where you're th- somebody throws out something and then you have to have somebody who protects that or uh, corrects it. Hey, you know, that's not the case. Oh, he's, he's, he's healthier now than he's ever been. He's healthier than he was uh, when he was at Alabama. Like all of these things. Oh, he throws the best ball I've ever seen. He's the next Drew Brees. And then you have somebody else who say, man, I, you know, my source said he'll go three or 23. I mean, crazy, right? But that's where we are. Uh, Justin Herbert's moving up. Oh, they're not. Dolphins aren't interested in Justin Herbert. And then I check with my source and said, no, they don't be surprised if they take him. And I go, you know what happens? Once the draft is over, we move on. We don't think back to what happened leading up to the draft, where it, there is a system that goes on, it feels like. Every draft, change the names, but it's still, there's a guy rising. Guy, Remember Jordan Love? You know, I'm hearing the Dolphins are really interested. Now I'm hearing Jordan Love in the second round. <laughs> so that's how crazy all of this is. And nobody, you know, who's telling the truth? You don't know who's telling the truth until after the draft, and then we don't go back and revisit what some of these people said. But the Wonderlick test scores came out. If you want to find them, you can. Uh, but I, I did. I, I felt bad for uh, some of these quarterbacks when that information got out. And if I had a client I and, and he didn't want to take it or just didn't feel like it was appropriate, I mean, what is the upside? All right. If you run a 4-5-40 and you're a quarterback, I'm interested. If you get a 44 on the Wonderlick, I'll go, all right, great. There are guys who are unbelievable taking tests. SAT, they're unbelievable. I mean, Greg McElroy is unbelievable. He's thrown as many touchdown passes as I have in the NFL as of late. He's a broadcaster. You can be smart. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is smart, but there are times you watch him on Sunday and go, boy, that was a dumb move, right? Um, But one, maybe they should do away with this. Each team should have something that they want to use for their respective draft picks. Not an overall test here, because I I, I do think it unfairly singles out some of these players. Yeah, Paul. I don't think I want my football players getting a, a 50 out of 50 on a wonder look. I want them right. Nice middle of the road, focused on football, getting decent grades, getting by. Mm. I, I looked at the top wonder look scores of quarterbacks. There's not a lot of hall of famers up there either. So the low end range and the high end range, there's, there's nothing, there's no rhyme or reason to it as far as football ability and football performance. I know that they look at this and, and I'll give you the exact wording of, of what they are measuring for, uh, Cognitive ability and problem-solving aptitude of players. Over time, test scores have become increasingly looked over as not a good measure of a player's football abilities. However, it still allows for fans and analysts to speculate what it means for a player's future. Yeah, what we do is we label them. Peyton Manning will join us coming up next hour. Reggie Miller will stop by. More of your phone calls, best and worst of the weekend. We'll give you hours as well. One hour in the books on this Monday, Dan Patrick Show. 